We've mixed it up a bit this week. We haven't done our little hello and welcome to, but it is episode five, and it is the Hunchback of Notre Dame as chosen by Matthew. Say hello to Matthew, my co-host. Hi everyone. So uh, this week, we don't have a special guest with us, but I don't think we need one because I'll let you into a little secret. Matthew does love this show, and I'm sure he will talk forever on this. Um, and I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it before um, we, we chose to do Matthew chose to do this. Um, and I'll let you in onto what I think during the podcast. Um, but it's bound to be a good one. It's got a lot of content in this show. Um, and I think without further ado, I think we, we get started. So, Matthew, as always, yes. we like to give kind of a brief plot summary and then we'll kind of t try and talk about the opening act. And kind of the idea and introduce some of the themes that are kind of put in here and there are a lot of themes to talk about this is going to be a bit like our Les Mis podcast I think in that there is so much content in this to talk about um so I'll let Matthew give us a kind of a brief summary of Hunchback if you could yes okay uh, brief might be a challenge but um, I'll give it a go uh, basically the Hunchback of Notre Dame the musical that we're talking about today is the 2016 version which was performed at La Jolie uh, Playhouse in uh, the USA. Um, the original story is obviously based on the book by Victor Hugo, who we all know as the author of Les Miserables as well. I think if memory serves, this was published originally in 1830 or 31, something like that. Um, it basically goes... <laughs> The original novel is about, more than anything else, about the building itself and the things that happen in it. The show, however, is about Quasimodo, uh, Archdeacon Frollo, and the characters that they encounter, such as the ones we know from the Disney film, Esmeralda, Captain Phoebus, Clopin, for example. Um, yeah. And it is brilliant. Uh, you've got Quasimodo locked in his tower. Um, who's, he wants to go outside. He's locked there by Frollo because he is ugly and deformed. And he, Frollo basically is kind of worried either for the safety of Quasimodo or for his own reputation because the people of Paris at the time not exactly the friendliest bunch of people. I mean, we can't say that about many people from the 1800s. Um, look at what happened with the Barnum Freak shows, etc. Um, but you have the gypsies come in on the Feast of Fools. Um, they crown the, the King of Fools, as it were, um, on Topsy Turvy Day. And Quasimodo is that person. The world is shown uh, this poor, poor man, and basically everything kind of goes wrong from there. That's fair enough. I mean, it's a hard show to give a description of because it's so long, and there's so much yeah. happens to so many yeah. different characters. Um, but the the musical does really revolve around Quasimodo, Esmeralda and Frollo, I would say, are probably your three main characters, yeah. and maybe Phoebus, kind of, you, you chuck in there, potentially, but it really is 
focused around those three characters. Um, you kind of yeah. mentioned it there about um, obviously Quasimodo is deformed. Quasimodo yes. in a literal translation translation literally means half formed, which, which yes. is which is qu qu quite funny, um, but also a very apt choice for his name then in in, in being Quasimodo. Um, so let's start off with. Where where the musical starts and uh, fair enough. Uh, what? So yeah, it's in comparison with the Disney film, uh, the '96 film, there is obviously the Disney film starts with Frollo hunting down these gypsies. However, this show takes a very different um, opening route, shall we say? You have the backstory of Frollo played out with his brother, uh, Jean. Um, Jean is this wild, reckless, not exactly God-fearing person. Um, Frollo, however, is almost his opposite. He is much stricter, more devout to the church, um, and basically a lot more religious than his brother. They're taken in by the current Archdeacon of Notre Dame to live there. They live there for several years and Frollo is trained up to be a priest and eventually becomes Archdeacon. However, Jean doesn't really want any of that. He's much more about fun and um, sleeping with gorgeous women and drinking, which obviously the Catholic Church at the time, not thrilled by. Um, but it all comes to a head when um, on Frollo's birthday, uh, Jean tries to uh, sneak in a gypsy girl for Frollo uh, yeah. to have a warm good night with. Um, Frollo kind of turns on his brother a bit and rats him out to the priest at the time and Jean is expelled from the priesthood. He leaves, he, the gypsy girl, as it were, dies um, and Jean on his deathbed, sends a letter out to Frollo, who comes visiting uh, to see basically what he wants. And Jeon presents him with this baby for Frollo to look after. Here, the baby is Quasimodo, and it's Frollo's nephew, which is, in my opinion, a much stronger opening for the relationship that we see further on with Quasimodo and Frollo. Yeah. Uh, than in the Disney film. No, I think um, that it, it. So obviously, all this is set. The music behind this and playing interlude, kind of running on in moments, is the bells of Notre Dame, which is a gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous piece of music. And there are some incredible yeah. choral numbers in this as well, which are phenomenal. And this is one of them that is repeated quite often. Uh, and I think you're right, definitely, about the actual background they've used here between Jeanne and Frollo is really important and definitely adds to the narrative because not only does it yeah. help you understand a bit of Frollo's background, it also helps you understand more the relationship he has with Quasimodo. Um, I mean, the first time he ever glances, you know, he looks at the child, he calls him a monster. Um, yes. And Frollo, throughout, throughout the whole of the musical, has a has a massive issue with gypsies or Romani as they're also known as um, and it's kind of a double whammy for him one that the, the child is so ugly and two that the child was born from a gypsy is something that he definitely mentally 
really struggles with. He almost doesn't even want to take it. You can see in the scene that he almost doesn't even want to take this child, even though yeah. Jayan at this point is literally about to die. Well, he, he does die. Um, yeah. And he still doesn't want to take the child. Um, but he does. He, do, he does take the child, doesn't he? So. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's interesting because Frollo blames the gypsies for corrupting his brother and eventually that kind of escalates on his brother's deathbed he blames the gypsies for his brother's death yeah almost in if they weren't there Jean would have stayed with me and been safe yes he also there's and I also think that's where a lot of his prejudices come from it later down the line I don't know if any of it may also come from I mean this isn't actually explicitly in any production I think I've seen but it is in the book that Frollo and Jayran are orphans obviously that's why they're taken in because yes. their parents die in the plague and I don't know if somehow he accommodates the fact that it was spread and a lot more poor people died and hence these gypsy travellers he may hold account for passing it around I don't know maybe that's something he also holds within him that they hold a responsibility for his parents death as well certainly interesting yeah just something to add um so yeah so Absolutely. so obviously there's while bells of notre dame is playing out in this um opening you've also got a repeated song that is repeated at least about four times in this uh, production of sanctuary um which is a really interesting piece of music every time it's sung for me it's at this point, it's very much trying to reflect on Frollo's relationship with Quasimodo mm -hmm. and also his, his own kind of self-being. Um, and he, he kind of sings this when it, there's a line which he says is, um, this child is my cross to bear. And it, it, yeah. he's talking about his sanctuary is here, but it's almost like this, this child is almost like his purpose like this is this is his this is his like nail in the cross this is his he's, he's got a pure he's done everything he can for the church but this child is always he feel, feels going to hold him back yeah absolutely um it, it's a level of guilt because i mean as you say it's almost his god-given purpose but it's the last remnants of his brother who he did truly love yeah, of course. And, yeah, obviously, the way that uh, Jean dies is really quite tragic. But I'm not sure in this version we see the taking in of Quasimodo as being a God has decreed it, this is your purpose, so much as I need to look after this piece of my... Brother. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, what I was trying to say with my point was not that it's like it's a very too much to do with God's relationship. He obviously kind of has to, and it is more the relationship with the brother. But there's the moment when he is back in the church just before a fantastic little scene, which I adore, and I've mentioned to you already. I haven't watched it. I thought this was beautiful theatre. Um, he does kind of speak yes. to God in a moment. Um, does yeah. uh, Frollo on a, talking about Quasimodo? And having this child and like i said it's his cross to bear the scene i'm on about is actually after this we're still in this kind of opening number which is a long opening number with sanctuary in it when 
it shows Cosimodo, the baby is taken off, and out comes Michael Arden playing the older Quasimodo, as, as he is predominantly seen in the play. And they dress his yeah. age, and I think that's brilliant. It is. It is so, so good. The chorus come on, they put the hunch on him. Quasimodo does his own makeup, uh, putting these streaks on his face. And whilst in that split second, these like black lines on his face look a little odd. Basically, the second that he's done them, they don't look odd anymore. They're yeah. just a part of his deformed face. And it's such a simple thing he does, but presumably he's put them in to the millimeter, the exact right spot. Yeah. And my God, are they perfect. Yeah. But obviously, you then have the line, what makes a monster and what makes a man? Hmm. And that's gotta be one of the main themes of this show is Quasimodo or Frollo, which one of them are monsters? Yes. Is it the horribly deformed person, or is it Frollo whose actions are monstrous? Yes, absolutely. That's definitely one of the themes of the show. Um, and I'm sure there's, as we go on, there'll be definitely points where we talk about things that Frollo do, and we say, is he really really monstrous or is he is it plausible why he actually chases after these gypsies when you see what they do to to Quasimodo is there is there reasoning behind yeah. it um so that'd be an interesting point to talk about the end of this Bells of Notre Dame having had the little sanctuary moment in the middle is also incredible where just one thing I do want to nod to and I'm sure we'll mention quite a few times in this and I've said it to you already this is from all the musicals I have seen up to this point, this is the best set I have ever seen on a musical. It is incredible. Yeah. And to describe it, it literally looks like it's in a church. You've got kind of the piers on either side and it kind of goes up and with the staging and people are stored two, three platforms above and then there's these huge bells that descend. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's an incredible set. It is. And even at the back of it, you have kind of that very famous circular stained glass window. Yes, of course. Which I've not seen on any other church other than Notre Dame. Um, but my God, does he look good? Yeah. He looks identical to the real thing. <laughs> it's amazing. There was literally like, there must have been no expense spared on that staging because oh. it was phenomenal. And even if even if you listen to this whole podcast and you're like, I don't really want to watch the whole show, watch 10 minutes and then I'm sure you'll either want to watch the rest of the show or you'll just appreciate how amazing the staging is on this show. It is phenomenal. Yeah. I can't, I can't think of many words to describe how good this staging is. It is so impressive. It was the first thing that really blew me away when I watched it for the first time. I thought... I, I normally do this, I normally open the swear door first. I genuinely was like, fucking hell, this is incredible. Like, I, I just didn't know what to say. It's, yeah, it just takes yeah. you by surprise. Definitely, definitely worth, worth watching for looking at the set. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, obviously after they've had this... about one song. I know. Obviously, <laughs> we're going to be here forever. Obviously, after we've um, had the opening scene, Bells of Notre Dame, we've kind of been introduced to Flo Fro Frollo's backstory, kind of been introduced 
very smallly to his relationship with Quasimodo and we've kind of got a bit of background there. It then goes on to progress even further when we start going on to um, Out There and Sanctuary again is repeated within this segment as well and Out There is another absolutely yeah. gorgeous piece of music. Um, I want to talk about Sanctuary first so if you don't mind. Of course. Obviously, um, well the scene before it is really important so um, basically it starts where the previous song left off you have the bells ringing yeah um, and in the final few seconds of the bells in Notre you have the giant bells ringing out and then the band and the choir cut so you're just left with the bells and Quasimodo is there talking to himself and to the gargoyles the statues around him uh, which he refers to as his friends <laughs> he is up there alone and to anybody else he would be absolutely miserable but to him it's not that bad he has made friends out of what we can only assume is his imagination but yes. it's all these gargoyles around him that he interacts with on a daily basis with these sporadic meetings with Claude Frollo and we basically see the relationship that between Frollo and Quasimodo that has developed and Frollo is a teacher so Quasimodo he, he almost seems a nice guy um, he comes up with a treat for him uh, he teaches him their religious texts which obviously Frollo is archdeacon in this version so makes sense he would give him a religious upbringing so fair enough there but yeah, it seems quite a nice parental or teacher-student relationship, which is terrifying then how the rest of the show plays out. Yes, it's true. It is terrifying if you bear in mind how the rest of the show plays out. There is always this... He treat Quasimodo clearly hasn't been exposed much to the outside world. And if you look at the way Michael Arden, who plays him phenomenally, not only in his, yes. his linguistics and how he speaks, but how he moves on the stage. He's almost feral, I would describe him. Yeah. He's, he's not strong literary-wise. Literary he, he struggles to speak very much um, in, in clear English, or French yeah. as it would have been in Paris, but he's in English. Um, <laughs> and his mannerisms, he's very... When he comes up with this treat, which the treat is strawberries. We all love a good strawberry. He yeah. almost like lunges after it, very feral, very animalistic, very much like the mon a monster, as he's described as, very yeah. much like you'd expect an animal to do. And obviously Frodo has to brush him aside and that's where he starts teaching him lessons. And of course, yeah. two of these lessons are quite, there's something very important to bear in mind when you look especially at how Frodo progresses within the rest of the musical. First thing he teaches him is self-control, isn't it? He, teaches him that he must have self-control and not lunge after the strawberry so quickly and he also teaches him that he should have manners and to be patient and wait and ask for the strawberries um, which are obviously ironic aren't they oh absolutely uh, I mean we'll probably get into why they're ironic in about five songs time but yeah very much so <laughs> but it's such an important scene um, especially when you look in with the uh, religious lesson that he's teaching, uh, the story of Saint Aphrodisius, which uh, you have these nice, every now and again, comedic moments uh, throughout the show. Uh, one of the main ones in this scene is 
Quasimodo struggles saying the word aphrodisius. It's a hard word to say. Yes. Quasimodo is deaf. He does most things by lip reading. His English, as you say, is not exactly perfect. So he kind of keeps on going, saying Afro, saying Afro, and he can't quite work it out. Um, and Frollo kind of laughs at him, and the audience laughs as well. Um, but the story itself is Aphrodisius uh, leading Joseph and Mary with Jesus into mm-hmm. Egypt, into sanctuary, away from where people would have punted them down yes. and killed them. Which, as we see about four seconds later, when Frollo's prejudice against gypsies uh, rises back up and he says, I don't know why our king allows it. If it was uh, in other parts of the world, they've been hunted down. Yeah. Um, like, he, he is wildly against these gypsies and doesn't realise the irony in teaching the story of St. Aphrodisius, who led these three hated people to safety away from people who would do them wrong yeah whilst being someone who would do there's, wrong. there's there's quite a lot of ironic moments in this musical yeah. where other characters will either act or even say lines that are biblical and frollo will deny them it's it's it's, it's, it's quite <laughs> funny when you think about it because obviously he's he's meant to be this religious figure and it's other people who are almost lecturing him on how the bible should be interpreted and some of these stories i mean there's a great one of my favorite quotes in that scene is when um frollo's talking about the gypsies in paris and how he said he says i loathe to walk among them and i'm like because they're just so beneath him and yeah and it's, it's a great that whole love thy neighbour yes and he's also very much he he tries to stop he does say to Cosimodo about you shouldn't talk to stone they're not your friends they're stone they don't exist I am your only friend I'm the only person yes. who can care for you he very much isolates Cosimodo as a character he wants to kind of Absolutely. just keep himself to himself um, it's almost that kind of gaslighting yes yeah, um, I mean, Frollo, whether he's doing it intentionally or not, is cruel, but with that conversation around about there, he says it takes two people to communicate. Yeah. To, yeah, um, he, he, in a way, he is trying to educate Quasimodo on the way of the world. Yes. And I think that idea comes back in slightly, slightly later in the same scene where Quasimodo asks that he goes out with Frollo um, and when Frollo's puzzled he goes I have protection, I am very strong um, and Frollo laughs at him yeah. and then he catches himself and he apologises and he says I do not mean to laugh at you but it is only what others would do and then yes. that leads into the song um, where he says the world is cold, the world is cruel. Um, but he's not wrong. No. He's not wrong at all. If Quasimodo did go outside, as we see later, he would have a horrific time. The people of the world are cruel to those they deem different. Yeah. 
and Fuller is no different in that regard. It's just it's not Quasimodo, and the ugly he's against here is the gypsies. Yes, he deems different. But you could argue in so in, in 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 quite a bit of sense, you could kind of argue then that Frollo is trying to do good by Quasimodo. It's almost like he genuinely is worried if he goes outside, he will get harmed. And he is trying to teach him lessons. Yeah. Yes, he does laugh at him from time to time, and he kind of breaks that boundary of the bond they've got. But he almost can't help himself because he is so meant, so ugly, so deformed. He, he looks like yeah. a monster. He can't help himself. But it, this whole scene Absolutely. kind of gives me this kind of vibe that actually Frodo does kind of care for him a little bit. But I don't think he understands for thoroughly what it's like for Quasimodo to be stuck inside. No, absolutely. And I think um, the rest of this song kind of pl plans that out quite well. Yeah, just before we go into the song, um, I do want to say, um, you know about uh, Frollo laughing at him? Each one of those times that Frollo laughs at Quasimodo, the audience laughs as well. And they're not laughing with, sorry, they're not laughing at Frollo laughing. They're laughing at Quasimodo and Frollo is laughing with them. Yes. Which I think is, the writing is phenomenal. Um, and they are genuinely funny lines that Frollo laughs at. But it also shows that he, <laughs> Frollo is kind of this audience surrogate on the stage at this point. The world is cold and cruel. And us in the audience watching this are no better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's almost kind of like the audience can't help themselves but laugh because the scene is inherently funny and the way um, Quasimodo is played, it's funny. So you can't help but laugh and you sit there and laugh. You don't realise that by laughing you are almost Frollo himself. And you are yeah, you are absolutely. almost the exact people he says outside, you know, those people will laugh at you. Well we are. We we, we are outside your whole <laughs> scene and we are laughing at you. So it kind of really yeah. kind of you don't even understand it really you pass over it because it's a funny line so you're sitting and i'm watching it and i kind of pass over it and it took me the second time to watch it second or third time to watch it and i was like yeah actually we're kind of him aren't we we're kind of exactly what he says we are um which is scary anyway it is yeah he um he moves on sorry i was just saying it moves on doesn't it to the rest of out there doesn't it and that's when that's when he starts singing about, he imagines what it'd be like on the outside, doesn't he? Yes. Um, and it's yeah, a absolutely. really emotive song, I, f I find. Yeah. I mean, everybody, uh, particularly now during lockdown, we, <laughs> we kind of get to a small point. <laughs> yeah. Not to the degree of Quasimodo, but we understand that want to be out there with everybody else. Yes. We might not get it in the same way as him. He wants to be treated normally. He wants to live a full life like everyone else. We obviously don't have that point of view unless we are Rapunzel. But we can understand his desire to be in a normal situation. And I think now more than ever, you've got to be able to empathise with him for that. Yes, you really do. You must, and there's one of my, I think, probably one of my favourite lines from the whole play is actually in this song, when he says, mm. "If I were in their skin, I'd treasure each moment." And 
and I think yes, that absolutely. is a gorgeous line. It's, yes, is the is kind of him expressing that he wishes he wasn't as he as he is. And one of the things that is actually mentioned in that previous scene, which we didn't even talk about, is where um, Frollo says to him, "You are deformed," and Quasimodo repeats, "I am deformed." And then he says, yes, "You are absolutely. ugly," and he's, "I am ugly." And he, 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 it's him accepting to himself. It's almost like he accepts himself. He is this monster. So him, he, yeah. he just, he treasure. He would treasure every moment if he could be not who he is. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right with um, his. Uh, and I am ugly. The one that gets me is the one that he almost screams in desperation. I am monster. I am monster. Which. Oh, that sends a shiver down me every time he does that. Yeah. Uh, I must have watched this show like 20 times now on YouTube. <laughs> That's how much I love it. Um, but that one moment, you're exactly right, the way it echoes Frollo is heartbreaking because he's internalising all of it despite his desperation. Um, and it's good to see that in Out There, he does take that first step. I mean, yeah. I know there'd be no story if he didn't, but... Um, yeah, if he just stayed inside, it'd be a shit musical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there'd been worse premises for shows. True. <laughs> it is really nice to see that despite everything he's been told, he rebels against it. Yes. And... It's possibly just because his desperation is slightly too great. Yes. But he does get outside, and that that's, is such a powerful. That's moment. the end scene of this song, isn't it? Where he he puts on the red yeah. little hoodie kind of thing, and he he, he, yes. he he braves it, and he goes outside, and we jump to the topsy turvy, the 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 kind of gypsy dance. Yeah, it's great. It's a great song. This, and it's a. What, it's so needed I put down at this point in the play because yes. not not to dwell but the first 10-15 minutes of this production with Bells of Notre Dame Sanctuary out there are really fucking depressing right? they're really bad they are, yeah. Like, there's, yeah there's a couple of one or two laughs in it but they're really serious emotive pieces of music that, yeah. and the big chorus numbers that come with them some of these big notes especially the Quasimodo yeah. sings and out there you're there thinking, fucking hell, this is heavy. You're like, Lay Miz is back again. And then and then it goes to Topsy Turvy and it's kind of this more light-hearted bit of, you know, yeah. kind of gypsy dance kind of move. And it's great. It's exactly what you need at this point in the musical. Absolutely, but it's not a massive change of pacing. No. So it doesn't feel natural. And the tone of it, whilst it shifts, it doesn't shift so unnaturally that it kind of jars you out of the seriousness. Mm. But obviously here we get more of these characters coming in. Um, for example, Clopin. Yeah. He's just amazing. Um, <laughs> with all these tricks throughout the show. Yes. Brilliant. And Captain Phoebus de Mantan. We do get good old Captain Phoebus. Oh, so charming. Oh, so charming. It's his first line, like, um, I'm here to... 
<laughs> I'm here to admire both the fronts and the backs or something. Yes, and then I think the next line after that is something like, he likes all kinds of girls. Seamus <laughs> <laughs> is probably the comic relief for most of the show. Oh, he is. Seamus first half. He's hilarious. Phoebus is, he's, he's very good looking, clearly interested in girls. Um, you do get to learn a little bit shortly after his introduction why he's actually in Paris and who he is as a character, which becomes yeah. ever so important. But he is kind of this joker. He likes to play around with the girls. He likes to have a laugh. He likes to jostle with other men. He, in fact, in one of the yeah. scenes, so it goes on to um, rest and recreation, which is from Topsy Turvy, which is a great kind of fun song. Um, I did say I thought he missed a note. <laughs> to be fair, I do think you're right, and I know the note you're on about. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. But he he goes. He's up this back. He kisses girls. He dances around. He gets another guy and shoves his head into a woman's breasts. Um, <laughs> and it's just hilarious. It's really fun. He, he's it's, one of the rugby lads, basically, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's that kind of big dumb brute. That let's be honest. You can have a laugh with and have a nice drink. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's um, but there is also a darker side to him because certainly on the cast recording, uh, in my head I've argued with myself about this many times, yeah. and even rewatching the one little bit, yes, I still can't decide if it's in there. But on the cast recording, there is a section where he basically gets these flashbacks from the front from okay. he basically used to be a mercenary uh, yes. fighting for the French and was then promoted to captain of the guard in Paris but he basically took this job because he's struggling with PTSD almost um, the massive survivor guilt um, from the song that uh, the snippet of the song that I'm thinking of anyway um, he has a line, um, oh, what is it, um, and whatever I do, yeah, this will be true, um, I will never go back again, and he's going to make damn sure he is never in another war. Yes. I, I do think he's a really interesting character, and he doesn't get, like, loads of development, as it were. No, he doesn't. Certainly not in this first half, but... He's interesting, like there's a lot going on there. He's this... <laughs> he's kind of toxic masculinity as a character. But um, there's a reason he's like that, and it's because he feels he needs to be, so that he doesn't... so that he doesn't get yes. to his death again. Yes, and, and Esmeralda really touches on that later, which I'm sure we'll come to when she tells yeah. him he must choose between either just fighting wars and being told what to do, or understanding why these wars are being fought and what's yeah. right to do. But anyway, we'll come back to that when that, that moment comes up, because that's yes, a really absolutely. important moment in terms of those two characters. After Western Recreation, he's coming and had his laugh, enters the Frollo, enters good old Claude, here he comes, and yeah. conveniently, there's a bit of uproar, isn't there, because this this gentleman has been claiming he's been pickpocketed. Yes, and uh, Phoebus catches the guy who is being accused of doing the pickpocketing, and 
Trollo says, what is going on, basically? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Phoebus and the uh, accusor explain. And then Frollo has that really chilling line, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> kind of, we will torture until we find out, or something along those well, lines. Well, before that, before that, there's a really important moment where he um, says, search him, and they find nothing. They find nothing, and yes. then he says, "Arrest him." Yes. Because they yeah, always come in twos. They, work in pairs they always work in pairs, don't they? And then Phoebus yeah. turns around to him and says, "What charge?" And Frollo just doesn't care. And he he but, says the haunting line for me is when Frollo turns around yes. and he says that line: "If it were up to me, um, you'd be hunted for sport like gy the gypsy dogs that you are." Oh. That's the one I was thinking of, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Which is horrific, <laughs> that is terrifying. And it's probably actually the first moment of the show where we think, actually, Frollo is evil. Yes. Because up till now, he's just been kind of... He has his prejudices, but... Yeah, he's questionable he's with Quasimodo, isn't he? He's questionable with Quasimodo, yeah, exactly. but he's not hes not so harsh that you think this guy's going to turn out to be the villain. Absolutely, yeah. That's what this scene Whereas does, this, yeah. Yeah, yeah Go absolutely. On. This very much shows him to be an evil bastard. <laughs> yeah. And even Phoebus, who is this hardened war veteran, uh, when Frollo says this, he's visibly taken aback. Yes. He just says, okay. He, he says, what charge initially, doesn't he? Because when he searched him and then there's nothing on him, he says, arrest him. He says, what charge? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's because he's a gypsy, is basically it. And because they were hunting pairs, yeah. and probably someone else has got the money now. And for me, it's it's the first time, you're right, it's the first time you start seeing Frollo as being this evil villainous, not quite right character. When he is the yeah. man of the church, this gentleman who's yeah. been accused, there's nothing on him. He's innocent. Yeah. He hasn't pickpotted pick this gentleman, and yet he should still yeah. be arrested because he's a gypsy. Yeah. Yeah. And the accuser as well is presumably just a normal Parisian. Yeah. He's just a normal guy who declares they work in pairs, arrest him anyway, search him. Um, like, he is, again, one of the people, he is a wildly against gypsies. Yes. And this kind of feeds back into that notion of Everybody hates these people. Hmm. Um, yeah. Right, so after we've. There's so much to discuss, it's crazy. So there obviously, is, after uh, we've had that scene, we go on to an introduction of another character now. So obviously, after he's taken we, we get the gorgeous Esmeralda. Yes, her, absolutely. Which I've described as sexy, a good dancer, flirtatious. <laughs> And a good tambourine tapper. <laughs> so we're on to Rhythm of the Tambourine Absolutely. is the name of the song, isn't it? Yes. This, for me, has got some really impressive choreography in it. Um, the whole show has got minimal choreography. There's kind of this song, another song, and then it's basically kind of stylized movement around each other during fight scenes. Yes. Whereas this song... Uh, there is a scene where 
uh, sorry, there's a section of the song towards the end where you get this kind of middle eight where it goes into slow motion. Yes. And <laughs> um, even Esmeralda's clothes kind of stay in slow motion as they would as she's spinning round, which is so good. Um, obviously, you can see that she's kind of passed off uh, the cloth in her hand to um, one of the fellow cast members, but that movement round is so good. And obviously, here you get uh, this. Esmeralda, Spoke, uh, Phoebus, Frollo, and Quasimodo all noticing Esmeralda. And you get that. That girl, who is she? And they yes. all sing uh, that lovely little section there in the slow motion. They describe her as an angel dancing, don't they? And even Frollo's singing. Yes. Frollo likes the look yeah. of her too. <laughs> well, that's it. She is a very beautiful girl, and that's exactly the point. Because she, in Frollo's mind, she's able to corrupt all of these men with her beauty. I mean, she's not. She's just a very beautiful girl, and these men have been away for a while. Um, but one of the things of interest is when they all, all three of them are singing that line, how they all sing it is also really important to observe. Obviously, Phoebus is sing Phoebus sings it like Romeo and Juliet. He, he, he sings yes. it like she's Juliet has just appeared. Frollo sings it like he likes her, but he shouldn't. She sings yes. it very reserved in character. Very, I'm not really trying to notice this, but she's really hot. And Quasimodo is singing it like, what the hell is this? I've never seen anything like it. It yeah. shock, almost. Like, yeah, he doesn't yeah. know what this is. What the fuck is love, according to Cosimodo? He doesn't even know what, what <laughs> trees look like, for fuck's sake. You know, so... How is he meant to comprehend this? So they're all singing, in, they're all singing the same lyrics, but in very different mannerisms about how they're singing. And that's really important as well, because I think the mannerisms yeah. they sing during this song progress further and further, especially with Frollo and, and um, Phoebus, they definitely progress further in terms of how they see her in this song the first time. Because um, to Frollo, she's a temptation. She's, she's, yeah. a, she's one of the things that may have appeared to Jesus in the desert. She's a temptation. As to Phoebus, she's this beautiful, elegant Juliet dancing around there for you to enjoy. So it's a very interesting kind of effect on all the three and how their relationship of how they see her progresses through the musical. Um, obviously Quasimodo meets her and he is revealed. We get to see Quasimodo on the outside. Yes, we do, yeah. And Esmeralda obviously, uh, when we're trying to find the champion, the ugliest man in Paris, um, Esmeralda says, why not use what you've got? Um, and I think that's important because she is using what she's got to make a living, as it were. Um, she's using the fact she's beautiful, she's a talented dancer, and she's putting on that show. Quasimodo, his ugliness, is almost exactly the same thing. It's something that can be exploited and shown off to people and earn a living. Um, that's almost the way she's viewing it for me, anyway. 
Yes, no, I agree. I think you should use it in exactly the same way. I think one of the things for that I think you have to bear in mind with Esmeralda and Quasimodo is es Esmeralda fundamentally is just kind. She's just kind. Yeah. And anything she says, Absolutely. even like that, it's not meant maliciously. No, no. As you compare that to everyone else, when they put him on the stage, yes, they laugh at him, uh, they mock him, they hit him, yeah. they hurt him. Yeah. It's horrible. And then after that, when Esmeralda breaks it up, the crowd shouts at her, What are you doing? You're ruining our fun. Mm hmm. Yeah. They're there whipping Quasimodo, throwing fruit at him. And I mean, the staging for that is beautifully well done, and the timing of that whip is amazing. Yeah, because but they view it as Esmeralda is ruining their fun. Yes, and then, and then obviously they start hurting him. Before there's that moment, they start hurting him, and the captain goes to Frollo, and he yes. says, "Shall we? We need to stop it. Can I stop it?" And Frollo says, "A lesson must be learned." Yeah. And that's... And obviously, uh, Frollo has that bit with Quasimodo afterwards where he says, um, How could you do this to me? Mm. I mean, Quasimodo's just been beaten up by a fucking crowd. Frollo's <laughs> worried about his own reputation. <laughs> you see, you don't belong with normal men. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I do think, quite ironically, is this does justify, to a way, what Frollo said. Yeah. He said the gypsies would not treat him well. Yes, Esmeralda yeah. does, but the rest don't. The rest hurt him. Yeah. They're horrible. Yeah, They're absolutely. horrible people. They are really yeah. horrible. And then, not only that, but when, when Esmeralda helps him, the crowd, when they turn on her, they call her a gypsy whore. She's now a whore because yeah. she's helping, helping a so ugly man that surely she wouldn't just help a man for no other reason than she must find him attractive. So she's a whore now, she doesn't sleep with anyone. Absolutely, I mean, Clopin, who, the leader of the Gypsies, um, even he is not willing to hurt Quasimodo, but to leave him up there for the crowd to attack. So yes. that the Gypsies and him can carry on about things themselves. I mean, he, we see more of him uh, later on in Act 2, but he does understand that they're in a very precarious position um, and if they do things to upset the crowd they will not be allowed back no. and they may not even escape with their lives and yeah it, it's it's an interesting scene and it's kind of it's horrific to watch in many ways it is terrifying you know when I watched it do you know how I felt I laughed the first I'm honest, the first time I watched this scene, I laugh. An interesting reaction, Chris. Not, not, when it, not with him being hurt, when he's revealed on the stage. Ah, right. Okay, when he's yeah. revealed and you just see his face and everyone starts laughing. Most of the audience do, and I do. Yeah. When he starts getting hurt, yeah, it's absolutely. slightly different. Because yeah. he's getting hurt and then they're parading him as a king. And then it's, it's all very confusing for the audience, I think. Not in a bad way, in that no, no. they're just hurting him, they're hurting him, they're mocking him, and it puts the audience in an awkward mm. position. Because in some sense, it's funny, but they're laughing yeah, at him, 
And so when you sat there with some people laughing, you don't know whether to laugh or to kind of be a bit awkward. And it is a very awkward scene, I find this one. Um, anyway, we need to run around make some progress. Fuck me, this is going to take us forever. <laughs> it is such a good show. Obviously, um, so if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube. Just yeah. type in Hunchback of Notre Dame Broadway, it appears. So post the scene with the, obviously, um, with Quasimodo, eventually he does get that, yeah. they, he gets taken back to Notre Dame, the cathedral, and Esmeralda follows him to yes, the cathedral. Because she wants to check he's okay. Correct. How Which, nice again, is she's that? She's such a nice person. Yeah. I know. What a cute. As far as she's concerned, she caused this. Yes, it's her fault, and she's she's for me. She's the one character in the whole play I look at, and I think she's the character. What what she does is normally right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And characters who do the opposite are normally wrong. And she has this really <laughs> interesting scene when she comes back into the cathedral with Frollo and I think this is a really yes. really interesting scene um what and first of all Frollo is m m angry why do you dare enter people like you here do not belong here um and she says she's yeah. come to help Quasimodo obviously and then <laughs> and then comes this amazing kind of doubling I love the term doubling I use it on my every fucking episode there's so much doubling in musical theatre it's unreal right and it's not some. It's basically a scene where whatever Esmeralda or Frollo says, the other one says the opposite. Yeah. And it's not said in a humorous way either. So I think Frollo, one, um, Esmeralda says, um, Frollo says, why have you come to help him? He's um, he's less than human. He's half human. He's deformed. And Esmeralda says, well, every everyone is human. Um, and yeah. then and then Esmeralda says. Um, and then and Frollo says, well, why do you dance, you know, um, with such, uh, why do you tease so much? Why aren't you more modest? And she says, I just dance for the enjoyment of dancing. And it's, it's a very yeah. opposite view on how the world is, is that he is deformed, you yeah. are teasing people, you are tempting people, and Esmeralda is, I'm just trying to have some fun, and everyone is a human and should be looked after. And it's a very interesting yeah. that... The, the view of that is not said by Frollo, and in fact she does quote <laughs> Jesus to Frollo when she says, um, when he, when she's talking about helping others and she says treat others as you wish to be treated, and Frollo, <laughs> Frollo acknowledges it and she says yes that's like a quote, that's a, that's, that's a quote from our Lord Jesus. Yeah. And then he walks off stage, he doesn't even say anything in return, he just leaves. It's almost like he, he's been so flumped by that. Well, he has asked her to stay behind. Of course. Because Frollo is going to do the midday mass, I think it was. Um, and he hopes to basically continue the conversation with her. Yes. And as he says, um, although your people are lost, there may be something in you that can yet be saved. Which is such a crucial line to the story. Mm. He is rejecting all of these people, but the one person who has shown some level of kindness and 
even just a modicum of understanding of the Bible, and also he's very, very pretty, could potentially be saved <laughs> if get the last they bit. spent time with Frollo. Yeah, yeah. Um, that possibly is an important point uh, as far as Frollo's concerned. Mm. Yeah. But then obviously we go we go into God help the outcasts. Oh, I love this song. Oh. Isn't it good? It's incredible. It's it starts off with about how no one will kind of help these outcasts, and there's a I love the bit where the choral starts singing yes. about things yeah. that they want or they would yeah, like. The, the greed. Yeah, they're asking God for things. They ask for um they're just um, pleading. I ask for wealth, I ask for fame, I ask for glory to shine on my name, mm -hmm. I ask for love I can possess. It's that I can possess. And yes. that always kind of makes me a little bit awkward hearing that. Um, I ask for God and his angels to bless me. And obviously, Asmerada comes back in with, I ask for nothing, I can get by. She's yeah. not on about helping herself at all. She wants to help other people. And she's such an amazing person. She's, she's so living cute. a shit life in the sewers of Paris. She's asking help for other people. She's so kind as a character. She is. Yeah. She has no flaws. She. She literally just wants the best for everyone else but herself. Yeah. And yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, she's a gorgeous character in that respect. And then comes. And then comes the scene at the end of that gorgeous piece of music, by the way, uh, where Phoebus comes in and we get the first bit of Esmeralda and Phoebus one-on-one. -on -one. Esbus. Esbus? Esbus. You know when um, you like shorten two names together and make you a couple? Fesbus. Yeah, well, or, why not? Or... Femorelda. Femorelda, do you like that? Yeah, Femorelda. We'll go with that. So Femorelda... you go, heard it first. And she threatens him with a knife. Mm. <laughs> and then yes. they go in this fight scene and he disarms her and it's a very... If you've ever seen... Oh, I don't know how to describe it. It's a very, like erotic fight it's a very these two clearly want to fuck each other but they're fighting at the same time so it's it's a very weird scene for me it's like watching a porno on stage where no one's gonna happen at the end i mean you say that but she does punch him in the balls but yes that's true i mean kinky <laughs> <laughs> but again you get a lot of this great kind of comedic dialogue yes. which builds on both characters but I think particularly Phoebus's yes um, I really like the bit where um, <laughs> just before he gets punched in the balls <laughs> Phoebus 
Davis says to Esmeralda, um, you fight just as well as any man. Oh, sorry, you fight almost as well as a man. And Esmeralda says, that's funny, I was about to say the same thing to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a great bit of comedy. It's so good. It's a great... Yeah. Like we said, Phoebus is kind of this light of comedy, I think, throughout most of it. There's just, he's so funny. Yes. So funny. But then there's also, in this little scene, there's a, quite to me, a quite important dialogue that happens. And that is that moment that I alluded to earlier about when um, Esmeralda talks about Phoebus and why does he just follow orders? Um, and why, why does he just do what Frollo wants? And he explains that he wants to keep his post, that he doesn't want to go back to the war. Um, and Esmeralda brushes him off like all soldiers have excuses. You never want to understand why and what we're fighting for. You just want to hit things, and it's and then Phoebe, and she also alludes to a bit of Phoebus's past when she says that she noticed he has rough hands, um, and he suggests yeah. that she almost she almost suggests that he came came from a similar place to her, that he's almost yeah. like a gypsy in a way that is his background. Um, which is an interesting point. So it's a very interesting dialogue, that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And as I say, you get to see a lot more of both of them in that, what is it, maybe 90 second interaction? Yes. Yeah, it's very, very quick. Um, but then at the end, obviously, yes, Marilda runs off to go and see Quasimodo up top. And she leaves Phoebus there to cover for her. <laughs> Yes, and then and then obviously it goes on to in my life as well, doesn't it? Which is yes, another great oh. piece of music. Yeah, and she kind of continues that theme about the fighting and why they never look at reasons why and where she's been in her life. Yeah, and Phoebus then counters with the next verse of "Mine's not that easy either." Yes. Yeah. And it's a beautiful little conflict inside and the relationship between those two and how they both it's almost like neither wants to say theirs is the worst but neither wants the other to think that they've had it easy in life either yeah um and it's clear neither of them have yes and then esmeralda knows she's won she knows phoebus isn't going to do anything when at the end she runs off to go find quasimodo and she just turns to phoebus and says you know you won't do anything yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then comes our um, a whole new world. Oh, sorry, no, it's not a whole new world. <laughs> but it's, it's it's very similar. I must say this song. I think it's very similar to oh, that. Top of the world. In top of the world. It is, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's the first time that we get confirmation Quasimodo is death because of the bells and where he's living. Yes. Which. It's a real shame for him, but you also get this great interplay with the chorus being the gargoyles, yes. who are almost advising him through this social interaction. Yes, they are. Mm. He kind of has to pass off what he said, what what she's saying, so that he can understand. It's yes, and it's like she, the the gargoyles say to him, like, does she belong here? She and then she say like she's kind. Yeah. She's she's all this. And they're almost telling him that she belongs here because he can't work it out. He doesn't really understand much. So yeah. they're saying that she's kind. She's nice. Trust her. You can trust her. Um, mm. And it's 
I, I did put in this in my notes. I put the chorus number. Oh my fucking god! Because <laughs> <laughs> it is great. And then when when he finally says that line, his one line he says to Esmeralda in this song. Oh yeah. It's shit. He can't say it right, can he? <laughs> It's great. I mean, of course, it's 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 he, re yeah. he, he reminds me almost like that, how awkward he is socially in his interactions with Esmeralda. I mean, there's definitely differences between the way they're played, but... Of course. Absolutely, the, the scroll is definitely there. Yes, and then, then there's quite a few little acting scenes, isn't there, before we get on to the next yes. piece of music. One of which involves a kiss. <laughs> and it's not between me and Matthew. Yes. <laughs> No, not this time. Not this time. That was episode one. <laughs> no, do you want to talk, talk, talk us up to heaven's light? What, what's going on here? So obviously the kiss oh, okay. I mentioned. <laughs> well, um, so we then have a little interplay between Frollo, Esmeralda and Quasimodo, where basically Frollo throws Esmeralda out of uh, the church. Um, and we then get the chorus telling us that Frollo was struggling in himself to basically forget about Esmeralda. So he started walking the streets at night to try and clear his head. And eventually we come to this tavern. And this song is completely original for the show, but my guys it could. This song is brilliant. Um, <laughs> uh, the Tavern song, Chris. Oh, yes. Isn't it fun? It's yeah. great fun, uh, this. And again, we get a nice little interplay between Phoebus and um, uh, Esmeralda. And we also see a bit more of Phoebus's comedy. Uh, for example, Clopan is there, and um, they have a small interchange, and they talk about the girls uh, in the tavern. Phoebus says, but well, not all the girls sell their bodies. Oh, well, so long as they're helping the economy. Yeah. <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something along those lines, isn't it? Mm. Um, <laughs> it's great. The comedy. <laughs> the comedy in the show, when it is done, is done so well. Very smart Absolutely. comedy. Very smart. And it's always put in the right moment. And you've had yes. this really intense. You've gone from an intense opening. To the jolly scene, to then Quasimodo being attacked, and then intense scenes between Esmeralda and Frollo, and Esmeralda and Quasimodo that that's less so intense, but it's quite kind of pitiful. And then it takes you to the tavern again to pick yeah. you up with a bit of comedy again. Absolutely, and it, it works that, that rhythm. Sorry, what were you saying, Chris? I'm just saying it works in that rhythm so well, so smooth that if you're always flowing. Absolutely, and I do think that juxtaposition is highlighted best in the next scene, which, following on from the tavern, 
um, we basically have this truly incredible pair of songs put next to each other. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is we're almost there. Amazing. We're almost on my favourite song. Oh, so we have Heaven's Light followed by Hellfire, and one follows it. Hellfire goes straight into From Heaven's Light, and oh my god, are these powerful songs. <laughs> You've got uh, the viewpoint of Quasimodo, and uh, the orchestration reflects it perfectly. Quasimodo's one is nice and light, fun, happy, but also with this kind of miserable twinge to it. So the first couple of verses are he never thought he could experience happiness. Yeah, dare to way. dream she might care for me is a line in the song. Absolutely. Yeah. I never thought that I would meant for heaven's light, yeah. Yes. Um and then in the final verse, a rather uplift uplifting verse, you have this really positive uh, little message with maybe it's possible maybe this is my chance maybe she could love me yes and then we have hellfire okay <laughs> we're here <laughs> yeah. i have written no notes this on this so song good. i've just underlined it i've underlined i've written it in the huge bold letters so normally my notes are just you know one line Hellfire is written across four lines in huge capitals with the stars around it and loads of underlining. This song. Okay. It's his. Yeah, I've used to put aside my little biscuits and crisps I've been eating. I've had to put them away because we're getting to Hellfire and it's getting serious now. Um, Hellfire is, in my opinion, the best song sung by a villain I have ever heard. Yeah. That's a it's fucking bold there, statement. And I'm not saying up there, yeah. I'm saying it's the best. I'm putting it as the oh, best. Wow. It is the best song. It's top stars, does it? It's incredible. <laughs> I just... The emotion that comes with this song, number one, is exceptional one of the things you struggle i struggle yeah. with in a villain song sometimes it's easy to pass off being a villain it's easy to pass off you know you want so and so to die or you want to find so and so you want this this song is way more than that it's it's about esmeralda it's about his relationship with god it's 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 touching yeah. some really deep emotional points and not only that but Fuck me some of the notes in this and the chorus behind it and oh my god the band as well it just is like it is oh it, if this isn't on Pornhub and you can search it and jack off to it on a night I don't know why because it is just beautiful it is that good it is so good can we talk for a second about the main man Patrick Page uh Yes, we can. <laughs> Him as Frollo. Oh, <laughs> if there was a match made in heaven for actors and roles, this is the one. Yes. Oh, he is so good. And he gets across so well that 
I'm terrified by it myself, but also I I want this more than anything else and will do whatever it takes to get it. Yeah. And I don't care about anything else. No one will stand in my way. He, he gets every emotion on that spectrum. He's incredible. In I mean, three minutes on. I recognised him because I, I, obviously I hadn't seen this, and I, I I do quite like Hades Town, which is quite a modern um, musical that came about, which was on Broadway, where he plays um, Hades, um, and he's fantastic in that. And he has some really low parts where he sings like, "Why do I build the wall?" He's just so low, and I was like, "Oh." I, now, okay, him playing this character could be quite interesting. And then he sings Hellfire, and then fuck me, like he is incredibly talented. Like he, the way he captures that whole questioning of himself and that desire that he will have what he wants, and nothing will literally, it's nothing will stop him. Not even God at this point is going to stop him doing what he wants. It's almost like yeah. he's trying to bargain with God and say, justify what I'm going to do. And anyone who gets in his way, if he, she gets in his way, then of course, as the last line of the whole song is, she will burn. And it's, and then every, obviously all the chorus going, hellfire, hellfire. It's, oh. Just a nice little tidbit there. Our regular listeners might recognise the notes that Chris hit there as the beards on Broadway. Beards on Broadway. Yes. Um, <laughs> he will burn. Yeah. Oh, God, is he good. And obviously he does amazing tea poses as yeah. well. Chris, do you want to demonstrate a tea pose for our audience? A tea Watching pose? Anyway? Stick your arms out either side of you. Oh, he does. Yes, he does the. Yes, he does yes. the. Yeah, yeah, of course he does. I mean, I want to do something again. Last week, last episode, I did something unprecedented, and <laughs> we gave the vote for the in our seats to um to the audience. Gave it to you to decide. This week, I want to do something else that's unprecedented. Before we get to the segment. This is one song glory. <laughs> okay, it's not mine, but I can see your point. I don't want I don't want a discussion, right? This is a <laughs> masterpiece. This is my favourite and best villain song I have ever heard. If this is not one song glory, then this podcast is fucking <laughs> over and we will not do another fucking show, right? This is one song glory. There you go. I've decided it. I don't give two shits what Matthew's going to suggest. It could be the greatest suggestion in the world, but this is one song glory because it's that fucking good. And that's the end of the discussion on that. There you go. For our listeners, before we started recording this today, Chris gave me a phone call and went, yeah, I mean, the show's pretty mediocre, isn't it? Just pulling my leg. But my God, did I get in exactly the same state as just got me in there. <laughs> Yes. I was about to walk. Um. <laughs> no, it's it's an incredible show. But this song to me is just everything, and it's like I said, it's my favourite villain song ever, and so that's why it's one song glory. So that's been decided for this week. There you go. I've overruled Matthew. It's been decided. Yeah, yeah. We'll come back to that section later. 
No, I do think though this song works so well because Heaven's Light went straight. It's before, before yes. Yeah. And a lot of this show is based on that juxtaposition, kind of, here's dark, here's happy, here's dark, here's happy. Yes. And this one, you have that nice, light, happy moment with Quasimodo into kind of almost the depths of hell with Frodo. Sorry, not Frodo, Frodo. <laughs> Frodo! Um, <laughs> 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 Fucking hell, I didn't realise we were doing Lord of the Rings the musical. <laughs> By the way, if that is gone. Give me the rights. I will start tomorrow. <laughs> Shotgun playing Gandalf. <laughs> if you can get your beard a little longer. How dare you? My beard's beautiful. <laughs> right, come on. Let's move on. I was going to say, we're nearly at the end of the hour now. This show's we? probably so... going to be like three hours fucking long, isn't it? Jesus. Oh, well, yeah, it's getting out, isn't it? Oh, we're on the last song, aren't we now? Yeah, yeah, last song of the first half. Esmeralda. Okay, so, now we have a really important scene with uh, Frollo and, and King? the monarch at the time. King Louis the Eleventh. King Louis the Eleventh. Yes. Oh. Also known as the Prudent. Well done, you. Thank you very much. And obviously, Frollo asks for these special powers to root out. Esmeralda, Bethel the gypsy witch, and from, uh, the king gives him the powers. Mm -hmm. And when he goes, when Frollo goes to Phoebus and says, "Kind of marshal the men, we're going hunting," <laughs> uh, Phoebus says, "We're not a military force, no, we're not." And Frollo goes, "Yes, we are now." Yes. And, yes, they are. They are now a military force, the army of Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> So they literally go hunting Esmeralda. Yes. And then they start, and obviously, start. they announce that anyone who aids her will also be charged for the same. Yes. Anyone who harbours her will be charged for the same. It's a proper hunt. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so can we just say, the baritone who sings that decree. Yes. What a voice. That is so rich and beautiful. Yes. Oh, I, I know he only has his moment for kind of two seconds, but wow, I really love him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they go hunting for Esmeralda, they start basically ransacking Paris for her, and eventually they come on a tavern where the madam has been known to harbour fugitives. So they threaten to burn it down with the doors locked, um, and Esmeralda appears. Only yes. after Phoebus refuses to burn down the building. Yes. Are you yeah, just a um, fool? Is that what um, Frollo says to him? Are you just a fool? When he refuses yes. to, to burn it down. <laughs> yeah. But you do get that um, the reprise of uh, the song uh, previously with Esmeralda and Phoebus. Yes. Um, I am just a fool in love where he puts out the torch, doesn't he? Yes. Um, it's a great little moment. I mean, you've got these kind of, throughout the show, you have maybe these 20 second moments inside much larger, grander scenes, which kind of call back to earlier things. Mm -hmm. And they set up everything that's going to happen. 
Yes, because there's, there's there's the repeat of some music in there. Basically, Frollo, some of the lines he does in in this, just following the scene, are from Hellfire. Quasimodo yes. repeats segments of Out There when he's trying to uh, very early on, and is it Phoebus? I think does some of Bells of Notre Dame, or it could be some of the rest of the chorus. They obviously repeat. Oh, well, obviously it ends with the Bells of Notre Dame. They gotta repeat that, don't they? again and then it goes into the yeah. Esmeralda ending so that's repeated so they repeat a lot of the music that's already come in the act yeah. and it's so effective in doing it as well and it's all Absolutely. relevant to each it's, of the characters yeah it's a classic one day more thing yes um, let's bring everything back together to create something greater than the sum of its parts um, <laughs> well I mean I'm not sure it's greater than Hellfire after I spent three minutes just telling you <laughs> that you could fuck off and it's going to have to be one song glory discuss that in a bit but this song is so powerful and fast moving and it's so heavy on plot yes this song is amazing I mean you've got Phoebus being stabbed by Frollo but who then blames Esmeralda. Who blames Esmeralda, yes. Yeah, yeah. So the rest of the guard around who come back think, oh my god, Esmeralda's done another evil thing. Yeah, We're going to have to get her for this now as well. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, you've then got Quasimodo who, once again, feels helpless at the top of yes. Notre Dame and is looking out going, I can't find her, I can't see her, I don't know what's going on. And I'm terrified. Yes. And then all of a sudden, the chorus builds up around everything else going on. Yes, it does. Oh. <sighs> Isn't it good? <laughs> it's incredible. It is, it's a one day more. It's a one day more. Yeah. And I mean, we have in previous episodes, we talked about, you know, Les Mis is always this one that we're going to hold to be this box seat, and it's very up there this song yeah. to be able to do what it's doing and what this musical's doing for this first act so far i'm not gonna lie to you it's pushing it's it's really tempting me it's this song in particular it gives those one day more feels like you said it brings back some of the greatest musical elements that have come in this first act they've combined yeah. them but not only that it's not just throwing them in and gone fuck it we'll just throw it in a song and they can sing that there's really important acting moments going on in this scene as well really yeah. important crucial things to the plot that are going to come in the second half like you said like um phoebus being stabbed like the fact that esmeralda yeah. um esmeralda saves him doesn't she she puts she keeps him somewhere yeah, safe does, yeah. quasimodo in the tower wanting to go out and help it's yeah they're all so important and it's 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 such a well-placed song well done song and the chorus number i've already told you several times now I've written amazing chorus number, amazing chorus number. You can guarantee that in this one it says amazing chorus number because it is. Yeah, it's, absolutely. it's unbelievable. Uh, this one is probably yeah. one of my favourites of all of them. This one and Bells and Notre Dame, yeah. I think, are probably my two up there. Um, but this one is very, very good. And it's a great way to end the first act. Absolutely, especially when the bells of Notre Dame again they come down yes. and Quasimodo rings the bells and the whole thing goes to black as he's on the bell wire yes. and jumps down with it. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's so it's genius. It's so those leaves you kind of aghast. <laughs> we uh we've managed to finish Act One. I don't know how long that's been, but it's been far too long. <laughs> I think it's time for a quiz, don't you all at home? I think we've you've earned it about now. So 
Let's go to my favourite segment, it's the interval. Yes, it's time for our quiz segment now. If you're still tuning in after an hour and 20 minutes of non-stop hunchback talk, I am rather impressed. It's been a long one, this one, and it will be a long one to finish as well because we love this show and there is so much to talk about. We hope you're still listening. If you haven't already, check it out on YouTube. But it's time for some quizzing. So I have got some questions for Matthew. I think he has a couple lined up for me. Am I right? Uh, well, we'll see if you ask mine, but yes. Well, if you if you if I ask yours, still ask me them anyway, because that means make me look clever. Fair um, so we'll start with a bit of finish the lyrics for you, Matthew. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll probably know that I love this song, so I'd expect Matthew to get the lyrics from it. Um, and these, and so Matthew already knows which song it's from now. Um, I have a little guess, yeah. And uh, here's the lyrics: God have mercy on her. God have mercy on me, but she will be mine, oh, she will I think you got that one right. It's hellfire. <laughs> yes, but she will be mine or she will burn. I'm struggling not to sing that again, but I don't want to bore them with the same song over and over. I mean, I could talk Hellfire for the rest of this podcast, but we won't. Um, it is this week's one song, Glory, so there we go. Uh, <laughs> I've already decided that. Matthew still isn't happy, but it's happening. Uh, number two. Um, you are deformed. I am. I am deformed. I want the next repeated repeated line from both. Oh. So the first one is, uh, you are deformed. And he goes, I am deformed. And you are ugly. And then obviously Quasimodo says, and I am monster. I am oh, ugly. I am ugly, uh, yes. I'll let yeah. you have that. You were close uh, enough. Uh, and that's from out there. Okay, a song we haven't covered yet, so there's a clue. Uh, I'd like the next line to this one. I'm not going to sing this, but I'll, I'll give you the lyrics. And my one okay. human eye will evermore be dry until the day I die. As if I were made of stone. Correct. Where he hits that super, super note. Yeah, yeah. ridiculously <laughs> high note. I'm not going to attempt. Um, three out of three, you're smashing it. Question four. I ask for wealth. I ask for fame. I ask for glory to shine on my name. I ask for love I can possess. I ask for God and his angels to bless me. You're spot on. In fact, you gave me too much, but hey-ho, you love the oh, show. Uh, God help the outcast that's from, and you nailed that one as well. Four out of four. Look at this, eh? Okay, let's have question five. The last finish the lyrics that I've got for you. We find you totally innocent, which is the worst crime of all. Oh, yes, okay, yeah. Uh, so this is in the Court of Miracles, isn't it? 
Right, do you want Who Am I? Yes, why not? Okay. I died towards the beginning of the play, having run away with a gypsy girl. Who am I? Jay Arn. is correct. Smashing it again. Clearly loves this musical, <laughs> folks. Number two. <laughs> now this one isn't on the production we're looking at, but it is on Hunchback. Name at least two of the gargoyles in the original no. version of Hunchback. No. <laughs> That's so terrible. <laughs> I know one of them is played by Jason Alexander. Um, the names, however, I have no idea. One is called Laverne. And one is called Victor, and the other one is called Hugo. Named obviously after Victor Hugo. Oh, it looks like Matthew. Oh, he's back. Right, he's okay. So Victor Hugo. So you've got Victor Hugo and I am back, yeah. Okay, number three. Who fled into Egypt in the story Frollo tells Quasimodo? Saint Aphrodisius Af is incorrect. The people who fled into Egypt were Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. Oh. Yeah, fair enough. Good point. Number four. Oh, I thought I'd be clever then. Yeah, you were almost right. Number four. I fall in love with Esmeralda. But she is accused of stabbing me. <laughs> could you be Captain Phoebus de Matan? I could be. In fact, I am. Yeah. I am indeed. <laughs> Let's see how your pronunciation is again, Matthew. Oh, who God. is the saint Cosimodo talks to who shelters <laughs> Joseph, Mary and Jesus in Egypt? <laughs> right. Okay, I'm not going to do the bit again. It's uh, Saint Aphrodisius. Yes, it is indeed. Smashing it again. Got two wrong though. You missed a little wordplay on that. I did, question yeah. three. Okay, question six. I am in a scene with Frollo where I grant special powers to him to hunt Esmeralda. Okay, so you would be the reigning monarch of the time, which is uh, obviously known as the Prudent. And you gave it earlier, it's uh, Louis XI. I did indeed, well done. The final one, this one's a little harder. I am an orphan as a result of my parents' death and my other relative is an alcoholic. I have a small flef that earns me money and I die in the play. 
Could you repeat all of that? I can. I am an orphan as the result yep. of my parents' death. I have a relative who is an alcoholic. I have a small fleth that earns me money and I die in the play. So the word that you said after the word small Fleth. Fleth, fleth is an old renaissance term which means it's like a property it's just earning money basically so it's got like a property but nothing major very okay. small and it's not mentioned at all in the in the play fair enough uh, would this be uh, claude frollo it is claude frollo, frollo yeah. yes obviously <laughs> made an orphan by his parents death in the play <laughs> uh, no it's not he doesn't own that oh right he doesn't own it so no, he has a small oh, place okay. somewhere, I think it's mentioned. Anyway, but yes, it is called Fire Okay. My final question is a great one. It's a bonus one, this. Oh, no. Right. Roughly, how many bars is the last note of Bells of Notre Dame held for? <laughs> In fact, actually, because it's not... Are you ready? See if I can... Let me just get the note up for you. Eight. You're going with eight? I am. So it goes bells of... bells of... bells of... Bells of Notre Dame. So that would be eight bars. So he's spot on. I was quite impressed. I'm quite, quite impressed. I managed to hold it for that long. But thank you very much. You know, I did try. Yes, eight bars. So, well done, Matthew. You smashed that quiz. I think you only got about three, three wrong in that. Three, four wrong. So, very good. Very impressive. Thank you. Do you want my questions now? Go on then. I'll have a few questions on Unchback. I probably won't get them. I'm not going to lie. Well, you never know, okay? You never know. Um, so... Hellfire! <laughs> <laughs> Is that not right? That... <laughs> it's not quite right. Uh, this could be who am I? Oh, God, right, okay. <laughs> I'll try. So... Well, 
Clopin says it's on the 6th of January, which I'm going to assume is just for the rhyming scheme. So it'll be the 6th of January. Oh, no, didn't get that one. Hellfire must be close to that, though. <laughs> it's not a million miles away, yes. No, um, I tried my best. Considering it'll be on, like, the 14th. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that. Yeah, so if anybody's wondering, this is almost a Christmas time show. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah Merry so Christmas definitely going Christmas. Um, Merry Christmas of yeah. death and destruction. <laughs> and sexual assault. Marvellous, that's what I ordered Absolutely. from Santa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, should we crack on with Act 2? Right, for those of you at home, get yourself a drink. It's going to be another long one. Strap in, here we go. It's time for Act 2 of Hunchback and Notre Dame. Hello folks, so you're probably wondering, why is Chris speaking over the exit blues? Well, in retrospect, it looks like that our recording was too long, so we've had to split it into two parts. So this is the end of part one of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. So join and follow the conversation on Hunchback and to listen to more about Act 2 and the director's cut segments in part two, which is just below on Spotify or click on the next video on YouTube. So we are sorry about that. <laughs>